today's passage. It's a bit of a lengthy passage, more than usual, and many of you know this passage. It's a famous passage, and just because you know it, I ask you to really still focus. It's a tremendously important passage. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 through 25, this is the Word of God. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separate the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the reading of God's word. This is a famous passage, and I didn't even completely read it because we're, we, I didn't even get to the part where God makes human beings. We'll get to that. 
Um, today, we're going to talk about the days of creation, right? And let's get into it. Part one, four views on the day of creation. Four different views, right? Part two, remembering the days of recreation. Remembering the days of recreation. And that's it, only two parts today, okay? Let's get into it. Um, you know, we live in a culture, in, and we live in a culture and era which dismisses Christianity. There's these prejudices about what we believe from the Bible. And one of the prejudices starts right here in what I read today, which is people read this first chapter. I mean, we're not even out of the first chapter of the Bible, and people immediately go, well, that's dumb. How could anybody believe that, right? And so there's this idea that if you believe in the Bible, you actually believe it's the infallible word of God, you must have committed some kind of intellectual suicide along the way. And it has to do with how we look at the days of creation. It's just first part. And so what I want to do today is I really want to give to you that a lot of things that a lot of people don't know, even including a lot of Christians don't know, which is there's more than one view of how to read this passage. Okay, did you know that? There's more than one view of how to read this passage. And so the Bible is inerrant. It's the infallible word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us. It's the truth by which we can have saving faith, know the true and living God, be loved by him forever and ever. It's like that's, that's the most important thing that could ever be written. However, the human understanding of the inerrant word of God is not infallible, right? Right. And actually, one of the places in the Bible that human beings have really wrestled with, and we don't actually have a clear consensus, it's strange that you, don't, you would think that we'd have an absolutely clear consensus on the first chapter of the Bible, but actually, Christians don't. <laughs> and a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people grew up in the church. They were taught a view of Genesis chapter 1, and then they think that's the view. But actually, Christians have argued about this, and um, some of the greatest Bible readers of all time actually don't agree. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that? And what I want to do here in this first part is to help you wrestle with it. And I love it when there's something like this, okay? So this first part of this message today is it's really to help you to process this chapter one and maybe help you to see it and think about it in ways maybe in which you have never thought about it. And in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, there is a document. It's called... The Report of the Creation Study Committee. Did you know that <laughs> there's such a thing? Some of the best scholars and theologians, pastors and elders, they were commissioned by our denomination to study this issue and to give a report to the whole denomination. It was back in 1999 at the 27th General Assembly. General Assembly is when the whole denomination gets together, right? And this was one of the key pieces of business and what I want to do for you today in this first part is to help you 
at least to help you come to, I want to summarize what they said and give you the four views. There's four views, okay? Four views that our denomination says are acceptable understandings of Genesis chapter 1. There aren't a thousand acceptable views, so it's not like all over the place. But there are a few. And what I want to do is try to help you see those few. And then what I will do, I'm going to give you the four views. I'm not going to try to go into them at all in detail. I'm just going to hit in basics the four views. And then what I'm going to tell you is I'll tell you the one I believe. Okay? And I'll tell you why I think that is the, the sound view of the Bible. And I'll say this. If you don't agree with me, it's okay. Okay? Okay? Uh, I think, though, if you're going to have a view of Genesis chapter 1, you should probably have one of these four views. They really are the four best views. And um, so this is to help you to wrestle with the whole church's thinking on Genesis chapter 1 and help you to understand it's not simplistic. It is not easily dismissible, okay? Now, before we get into this, what I want to do is I want to give you a portion of the introductory statement of this report. I told you some of the finest pastors and ruling elders of our denomination studied this. And let me tell you something else about this. Our whole denomination heard this report, read this report, and you know what they did? They said, that sounds really good. <laughs> and they received it with great peace. And this is 20-something years later. It has given great peace and unity in our church. To this day, it really does, even among brothers who don't agree. And so I want to read this opening. It's really good. It is very, very good. And I want you to feel the spirit of what they said. They crafted this thing really carefully. And so it's a little bit lengthy, but it's worth it, I think, okay? So please follow me. We, that is the writers of this report have found a profound unity among ourselves on the issues of vital importance. Of the things that are absolutely vital to our faith, we're completely unified. We believe that the scriptures, and hence Genesis 1 to 3, are inerrant word, are the inerrant word of God. We affirm that Genesis 1 to 3 is a coherent account from the hand of Moses. We believe that history not myth. I want you to get this. History, not myth, is the proper category for describing these chapters, and furthermore, that their history is true. You hear that? It's the first thing I want you to get. The people on this committee did not agree with how they view Genesis chapter 1, but they agree absolutely on this. History, not myth, is the right way to read this passage, and it is true. Okay? They go on. In these chapters, we find the record of God's creation of the heavens and the earth ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. I taught that to you a couple weeks ago. Of the special creation of Adam and Eve as actual human beings, the parents of all humanity, hence they are not the products of evolution from lower forms of life. Okay, that's a big statement. That's our denomination stance. I'm not going to touch that today, but it's coming, okay? I fully agree with that stance, and uh, in, in a later message, I'll tell you why, both from the theology and from the science, okay? 
We further find the account of a historical fall that brought all humanity into a state of sin and misery and of God's sure promise of a redeemer. Amen to that, right? He goes on. Because the Bible is the word of the creator and governor of all there is, it is, the, it is right for us to find it speaking authoritatively to matters studied by historical and scientific research. This is tremendously important. You know what it's saying? There's science, there's history, the scholars, the Bible's higher. That's what they just said. In our church, we absolutely believe that, okay? Do we believe that in our, with our denomination? And if our denomination stopped believing that, we would have to say, see a denomination because you're wrong on that. And in our church, we do believe the Bible stands above all wisdom of man. And let me just say a little something about this. Science books will come and go, and they die out, and the things that are inside them are regularly found to be wrong. <laughs> okay? But I don't know if you noticed, the Bible has not been revised. <laughs> it doesn't need to be revised. It's from God. Okay? So that's a great thing that they said. We recognize that a naturalistic worldview that is all nature, nothing above nature. I taught this to you. It's all darkness. A couple of sums. If it's we don't believe that there's nothing above nature. And true Christian faith are impossible to reconcile and gladly take our stand with biblical supernaturalism. That's our stance. The committee has been unable to come to unanimity over the nature and duration of the creation of days. So there we go. This is the part where we aren't in agreement over the nature and duration of the creation of days. Nevertheless, our goal has been to enhance the unity, integrity, faithfulness, and proclamation of the church. Therefore, we are presenting a unanimous, there in one mind, report with the understanding that the members hold to, a different, to different exegetical viewpoints and to the rest, we are at one. Okay? It is our hope and prayer that the church at large can join us in a principled, biblical recognition of both the unity and diversity. Where we are unified, where we disagree and have different views, we have regarding this doctrine and that all are seeking properly to understand Biblical revelation. We're not here to give our opinions about science. We want to know what the Bible says. It is our earnest desire not to see our beloved church divide over this issue. Here's the first thing I really want to say. Revive church, that's our, that's our spirit too. I humbly will tell you what these four views are, which I think, Historically, they, done, they did tremendous piece of scholarship, and they're right. I've done some scholarship over this, and it's tremendous. I read, it's like a 90-page document. I read it so you don't have to read it, okay? <laughs> right? I will share the link with you. You can read it all. And I, there's, a, there's a summary document, which is shorter. <laughs> it makes it a little easier, okay? Um, and what I'm going to do next is I'm going to just briefly give you the four views, I'm not going to go into every details about the strengths and weaknesses of each view. Each view has arguments for and against. People argue about this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the four views, and then I'll give you my take. Okay? Does that sound good? 
car one. The first one is what they call the calendar day view. The calendar day view. And it's the easiest one to understand, right? The calendar day view is this one day in the Bible means one day. It means 24 hours. So that there was day one. It says morning and evening a day, right? That's what it says in the Bible. And people go, well, isn't one morning and one evening 24 hours? And then that's it. Therefore, that's what it says. That's what it means. And so the take is that really God took about 144 hours. <laughs> and then he, all of creation was complete. That's, that's maybe, you know, that's the calendar day view. It is probably the view that most people consider the most straightforward and the first time I read the Bible, which was like, you know, I'm probably reading this passage when I'm about six years old. That's the, what I thought it meant. And a lot of people, that's what they read, and then they never come off that view, right? And there's still a large percentage of pastors and elders in our denominations and across the church and across the world and across some of the finest theologians and pastors of all time, they take this view, okay? That's this view. Let's just say a little something about this first. This is the view that most secular unbelievers find the most difficult. And I think you guys all know that, right? Immediately they're like, that's ridiculous. And so they read this and they think, isn't that exactly what the Bible is saying? And then, 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 then they don't bother reading chapter 2 and, <laughs> and the rest of the books, okay? Because it must be dumb, all right? But that's where the first view is, okay? The calendar day view. Second, the day-age view. The day-age view. The day-age view is something like this. One day was not 24 hours. One day might have been thousands of years, maybe even millions of years. Right? And... You know where they make this argument? Not on the base of science. There are some in our denomination, they clearly hold this view. It's interesting, in this report, they actually tell you who some of the most famous proponents of each view is. And let me tell you this right now. They are some of the heaviest hitters, the greatest thinkers. There isn't a name, you know, of, there are names on all four views. That I just go, whoa, I, I, I didn't know he took that view. And these are theologians and scholars that I read, I deeply admire, and I think they're, they're greater Bible readers than me, and they take the day-age view. And it's not just about saying like, well, you know, we got to find a way to somehow make the Bible compatible with Darwinism or something like that. They utterly deny that's what it is. But here is one of the key points. And this is one of the questions that all four views wrestle with, which is, if there was a day, and the day is 24 hours, but the sun wasn't made until the fourth day, right? If the sun wasn't made till the fourth day, well, how long was day one? <laughs> That's a huge question, right? And you know where, where Christians have fallen this? They have fallen on different places on this. And the day-age view... They are kind of agnostic on how long each day is, but they don't think that the day is meant to be just, you know, like one day. They cite other passages in the Bible 
such as, um, I want to say Isaiah 10, and it talks about, on this day, the Lord will do this to such and such, and he's talking, it's a piece of judgment. And that judgment happened in history, and guess what? It didn't take one day. <laughs> it took longer than one day. It took, actually, months. So that's one example they use in the Bible, that when it says a day, it doesn't exactly just mean 24 hours, and that's one argument that they use. And some read this in the day-age view. That's the second view. Okay, you follow me? Okay. Number three. The third is what some people call the framework view. The framework view is not that easy to explain, but let me try to um, do what I can. The framework view is not trying to tell you how long the days are and is not trying to make any kind of like, we know exactly the sequence of how things occurred. The framework view is the Bible is reporting creation not primarily as this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened, but you can see that God, it's reporting that God did this work and then he framed this and then he framed that. He framed this and he framed that and the words give you a glorious picture of a glorious artistic God, right? So just for example, day one, there was light. But then you get to day four, and you get the sun and the stars and the moon, right? Day two, God separates the waters above and below, and we're not even entirely sure what that means as, as moderns. It must have meant something to ancient people. And then there was the heavens, right? But then you get to day five, and day five corresponds to day two. And what you get is you get the seas and the waters and all the fish and all those who live inside the waters. You see what I'm saying? So the framework, people read that and go, I don't think it's teaching you this happened, then this happened. <laughs> this happened, then this happened. It's telling you something else. The point is not to say that this is not historical, but the point is this is not a sequential form of this, then this, then this, the way we would think about it as like a historical piece of news reportage. You following me? It's more like a grand poetic song that celebrates the greatness of God and how he orders the world and makes it beautiful. Okay, That's the framework view. That's the third view. And then the fourth view is the analogical days view. And the analogical days view is something like this. There's a day, and, well, there, the day is a day that God works. It's not just a day that man works. And when God does something, it isn't just the way we do it. There's a thing that there's a part of it. The word may be similar. It's similar and it's different. You guys all like, uh, maybe you guys are some of you young. When we were younger, we took the SAT, and there was this thing called analogy. And there are two words, and there's a similarity and a difference. And what the analogical days view say is, we're not sure what days mean, but we see that as it's a day of God's work. Maybe it was a thousand, maybe it was a million, but they don't even actually take that view like a day-age view. They're like, no, we're not, we won't even take it that way. Right? So in some ways, the, the analogical view, I think, is a little closer, um, at least in spirit, to the framework view because they're not trying to figure out a sequential and how long the days were. Does that make sense? So that's the analogical view. 
Okay. Da da. What does Susang think? I want to ask you a question. What is the genre of Genesis chapter one? What is the genre, right? And I think that's a really important question. Um, I want to start just by kind of taking you my position by saying um, I think the genre is very, very important. Now, you're like, okay, I'm an English major. Let me tell you something. When you read poetry, do you read it the same way you read a news report? <laughs> so if I gave you a poem, so if I gave you, you know, like, you know, William Wordsworth or something like that, right? And then you read this, would you read that the same way you would read the newspaper report? No, they're, they're two very different genres, right? And as an English major, I think we have to deeply ask this question. And I, I think most modern people, we read the Bible, and we immediately think, okay, it's got to just be a historical report. It's about history. It is about history. But it isn't historical sequential report. I, I don't think so. If you read into the Hebrew, and by the way, you don't even need to know the Hebrew. You could feel this. You know what it feels like? It feels like a song. That's what I think it is. It's poetic. And God did this, and then it was so, and then it was good. And then God did this, and it was so, and then it was good. It's, it's got this repeated refrain. We just sang this refrain. <laughs> In our songs, you know, this is how our songs go. We say, God, you're like this. We celebrate. And then it was good. And then we live inside of its joy. You know what I think Genesis 1 is? It was a song. <laughs> so that's the first thing I want to say. I think it's telling you something that actually happened. Because you can have songs about things that actually happened. We sing them all the time. <laughs> We sing a song, Jesus died on the cross, and then, and then I was saved, and man, my life is great. But is that some kind of like, and then this, and then Thursday, and then Friday, and then Saturday, and then Sunday? It's not telling you exactly. It's telling you pointing to something that's historically real, but it's not necessarily giving you this historical sequence. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I think it's like that. Right? And maybe it's because I read a lot of poetry. <laughs> it helps. It helps to have lived in poetry. But the song is a great way to see it. Well, you all know what a song is. You ever think this way? You start the Bible. And you know what the Bible starts with? Praise. That's what the Bible starts with. The Bible doesn't start primarily with, like, let's give you a historical report. <laughs> the Bible starts with, we're going to point to something that really happened but we're going to start with the song. That's what I think the Bible's doing, right? And let me tell you, uh, um, so with that said, which view do you think I'm pointing to? I, I believe in the framework view. <laughs> I believe in the framework, the third one, the framework view. I even kind of did that on purpose. I was tempted to make up the fourth one. You're like, well, that's yours, right, Pastor? <laughs> no, actually, I believe in the framework view. And then... You get to Genesis chapter 2, and then God made, uh, you know, there's Adam and there's Eve, and I think that's just straight. That is historical reportage. I think there was a serpent, and he talked, and, and, then, and then the world went south after Adam and Eve chose to believe serpent, not God, right? 
And let me give you one more reason why I believe this framework view. Um, of the first one, the calendar day view, you really do have to believe in something like what some people call young earth creationism. You go back a certain number of days. There was an old scholar you know, a long time ago who actually counted up all the days in the Bible and said that everything began in the year 4004 BC. Did you know that there's such a scholar? <laughs> right? And so the earth can't be more than about maybe 5,000 or 10,000 or maybe 20,000 years old, but all the science does points to that's not the case. It's different scholars think millions or billions or whatever. And I'm not saying that I use, the, use, the, use uh, science to tell me what the Bible thinks. But let me hear here's something important. The Bible teaches you that God's creation is part of his revelation. You know, if uh, some, there's an architect that, and he makes a beautiful building... He, who he is is in that building. You know that, right? And if someone cooks you a meal, it matters who cooked you the meal. Do you know the best tasting meals that I eat are? They're all from Grace. <laughs> because they reflect her. And you know what? That's what creation is like too. There are many great godly science, scientists who studied the Bible and thought very seriously about this theology. And there's a theology that God reveals himself generally, generally throughout all his creation. That's called general revelation. And the general revelation and the special revelation of the Bible, they go together. <laughs> because they all point to the same God. And so there's a, there is, a, an, there is a, a Christian godly man that I respect, and he said something like this. I don't, know if that, I don't have the quote just right. He says, there are two books which reveal God. One is the book of Scripture. It's the highest. But two is the book of creation, right? And it reveals God. And they do not contradict. <laughs> and you know who said something like that? You might have heard of him. His name is Galileo. Galilee, and he's not the only one who have thought things like that. And so I think you have to hold all the theology together, right? And I think this is the right genre or something like the right genre for Genesis 1, and that's why I hold this position. And um, if you disagree with me, it's okay. <laughs> but I do urge you to hold to the one of the four, okay? Let's go to part two. I want to... Um, how do you talk about the gospel from this? And I want you to think about days of creation. And I want to take you uh, to a passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It goes like this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That is only according to our own wisdom. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We now regard him according to the Holy Spirit. And here's the verse I want you to get. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Here's what Genesis chapter 1 teaches. Before God made us alive and created us, 
there were many days. <laughs> he made the earth. He made the stars. He even made all the plants. And then he made the animals so they can eat the plants. Right? And he said, it's good, it's good. And then, finally, he said, let me make the ones I love the most. And there were many, many days that finally led up to us. Right? Do you know that that's the way it is in your recreation? The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. God, who is creator of all things, came to earth. And there were days before new life can happen. There was a day that was like this. And the baby was born and placed in a manger. <laughs> and you guys know that day. We're coming to that day. That was a day. And God said, let that happen. And it was good. Let there be a day when my son, who lives among the wretched and the poor, will be nailed and crucified by those who are wretched and poor. So he would take their wretchedness away. And it was so. And it was good. Huh. Let there be a day when the one who was crucified will come out of the tomb and then there will be life that can never die. And it was so. <laughs> and it was very, very good. These are the days that God did to recreate us and make us a new creation. But you know, many of you already know this. And I want to close this message by telling you, have you ever thought about the days that led to your recreation. There were the days when God said, let it be this way, and then it was so, and then it was good. There were days before you knew Jesus, <laughs> and we always want good things from God, and we want him to just do it, boom, tomorrow. God, can you please let me have a wife? Tomorrow. Can you please heal me from this sickness? Boom, tomorrow. But God is a recreator. He makes you a new creation. And he has special days. Did you know that? He says, let there be this day. And then it was so. And then he goes, and that was good. I want to tell you about some of those days from one person in our church. And while I tell you about some of these days, I want you to think about days that led to your recreation where God was good to you. <laughs> he took days. He was not in a hurry. He prepared one, and then he did this, and he did this, just as there had to be waters, and then there would be fish, and then there would be an earth. He said, first, let's have this, and then let's have another day like this. So let me close this way. Um, there's a sister in our church now, she wasn't in our church a long time ago. And we heard her testimony up here a few weeks ago. Her name is Jasmine Bajwa. I asked her if I could talk about this. And she went to membership class a couple weeks ago, last Sunday. And she said things that she didn't share up here. 
And we asked all the people in membership class, would you tell us a little bit about how you came to Jesus? And she told us some things that I, I actually, like, I wanted to, like, stop the membership class and ask her a bunch of questions because I was floored by some of the things she said. And here's some of the things she said. And you know, it's really amazing that our sister, who hasn't been in Christ for very long, she has not been a new creation for long, and yet she has already seen that before she came to Jesus, before God fully recreated her, there were days of his goodness. So let me just tell you a few of them. Um, her dad came from India to the U.S. when he was in his 20s. And he came with a bunch of friends. And after a while, he stopped being with those friends because they started doing some things that were illegal. And he said, I'm, I can't be with you. But it made him really lonely. And he ended up selling ice cream in front of an elementary school. This is all in Oakland, North Oakland. And he was homeless, this Indian man in his 20s. And he met a woman. He met a woman who ran a laundry. So he used to wash his clothes. The homeless man used to wash his clothes at a laundromat. And this woman who ran the laundromat was a Christian. She was white. She was elderly. But she saw this man from India and had compassion on him. And she says, I'm elderly, and I could use some help. And if you will help me, I will let you live in my house for free. Her name was Noma McLean. And he lived with her for quite some time. And then he went back to India and got remarried. He actually had a first marriage, and that didn't work out very well. And then he came back to the U.S. And then, and then Jasmine was born. Jasmine was born into a house of a 90-year-old white Christian lady named Noma McLean. She sat on this woman's knee, and this woman taught her the Bible when she was very, very little. And Jasmine calls her my godmother. So there was a day before she was ever born, before she even existed, and God said, let this man find a sister, one of my children, who will love him. And it was so. And he will be, she will be, the godmother of Jasmine. Isn't that a great day? She told me another one. She said that he was a, a taxi driver and struggled out here. And so at one point they moved to Reno or like they went to like northern Nevada. That didn't work out. And then they ended up moving to Missouri when she was seven years old. And she said she immediately made a friend, and this friend latched onto her. That's how she put it. <laughs> this girl latched onto her, and um, let's see, I, I got her name here. Her name is Grace. Can you, that's her name. <laughs> Grace Kirkman, and she was this very sweet Christian girl. And Grace Kirkman became her best friend. God said, let Jasmine have a best friend who is from me. And it was so. And it was good. There's some other ones I won't get into for the time's sake. And what I want to invite you today is 
there are days in your life that maybe you haven't thought about and days that you did not know where God said, let it be like this. And it was so. And it wasn't kind of good. It was ever so good. And he was being so good to you because he was making you. He was recreating you. He was very interested in not just the stars and the seas and the plants and the animals and saying, look what a great artist I am. He's saying, look what a good redeemer I am. And through Jesus, he would give you good days until you would know that Jesus is your creator and your redeemer and you'd be remade in him. So as we go to our responsive time today, I want you to be thinking about those days. <laughs> the God who does beautiful things on his days. He does beautiful things for you. Let's pray.